Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. The woke madness in history education is off the rails. Well, how do we change it? McClanahanAcademy.com. And because you listen to this podcast, if you use the coupon code PODCAST at checkout, you get 25% off every day, all day, 365 days a year on every class at McClanahanAcademy.com. So go to McClanahanAcademy.com, use coupon code PODCAST at checkout, and get a real history education at 25% off. If all levels of government were to disappear tomorrow, which one might you miss first? I guarantee it wouldn't be the federal government. I'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back to the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter. Like my Facebook page and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. We've got lots of great classes there. By the way, in the first week of November, first week of November only, I've got a new class out, How the Supreme Court Screwed Up America. You've got one week to get it for 99 bucks. And if you're on my email list, you're going to get the link. you got one week. So get on the email list, go over to McClanahan Academy, subscribe, and also go to brianmcclanahan.com, subscribe, get on the email list, and you'll get that awesome coupon. 99 bucks for that class. It is a steal. It's an inflation-busting price, and you're going to want it. It's one of the coolest classes I've ever done. So How the Supreme Court Screwed Up America, new class, out first week of November. I've also got great deals coming up. Black Friday is coming, so all kinds of great stuff. If you're on the email list, you'll get those things. You can also support the show, of course, by clicking on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com, the heart button on YouTube under the video, go into Spotify for podcasts or store a few pennies my, my way. Also, click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com or buy one of my books at Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble. All those things make great gifts. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you love it. Share it around on social media. Give it that five-star review. Leave a text review wherever you can and send me those show requests. I do want to see what you want to hear. All right. Well, this is a question I often ask my students, and I really get some interesting responses. Most of the time, though, it is the federal government when I ask this question. I'll say, look, if all government disappeared tomorrow, is what I asked at the, at the opening, which one would you miss first? And their general response is, well, the federal government, because they do everything. They do everything. And, of course, we've been conditioned to believe that. If you watch politics, if you do, the federal government does everything. And I think people really generally go into Washington, D.C., particularly young, naive people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and they think the federal government does everything. At least they want it to. When you have floods in New York City subways, and she's complaining about that and saying Congress needs to do something, well, that sounds like a great job for the city of New York or the state of New York to try to fix that, but not the federal government. I mean, the only people that use the New York City subways generally are the people that live in New York City. Yes, there are some people that can come there from other states and they can get on the subways if they want to risk their lives. But they can go get on the subways and they can ride around. Of course, this is an argument the Supreme Court used quite often to knock down state legislation and nationalize everything. And I talk about that and how the Supreme Court screwed up America. But uh, the fact is, 
Most people will never use a New York City subway, so why should they pay for it? Just like people in New York aren't going to use a road, they'll probably never use a road in, uh, in the state of South Dakota. So why in the heck should they pay for that? You see, why should people be forced to pay something they're never going to pay for something they're never going to use? And you can say, well, that's economy of scale and nationalism and it helps everybody. Well, yeah, all this stuff was unconstitutional to begin with. And this was made very clear by the founding generation uh, who were certainly opposed to federally funded internal improvements for the most part. I mean, the majority were. There were some people that wanted it. But when you look at the Jeffersonians in particular, they thought these things were a really bad idea. So why do we have so much spending on the federal government. Shouldn't more people be focusing on the state and local? And I can guarantee you, if you're going to miss any level of, level of government, you're going to miss the local first. This is why this show is Think Locally, Act Locally. That's your, that's your in some cases, your fire protection, police protection, your water, your sewer, your garbage. Those are things that you're going to miss if they're not there. Maybe your schools. Government services that you have that you might use are generally going to come from the local. Now, it doesn't mean the federal government doesn't pump cash into those areas. It does. And, of course, the states are just as addicted as anyone else to this cash. But there's always been a tremendous amount of corruption and waste, and the general government has shut down several times, and nobody even cares or notices. And that's because most of these things are non-essential, and even they're operating on that model. There was actually an article that came, article came out in the Washington Times, which I found fascinating on this particular topic. Now, the Washington Times, of course, is considered to be a conservative paper. I mean, it's it's not, it's not it's probably a little bit right of center. Um, there were years back in the 90s uh, when I was in, uh, in college, um, in the early 90s, there was a, um, a political science professor that I had, and I would, I would get the Washington Times every day. I would go to the library. This is when you could go to the library, and they would have all the newspapers on these sticks, and if you're a young person, you've never seen this before. And I, I don't know, you know, most of the, my listeners probably re, maybe remember this. But if you're younger, uh, they had newspapers on these poles. And you would go in, the newspaper would be set in the pole, and you could flip the pages and read the paper. And I would go to the library in college every day and read about three or four newspapers. I would just sit down, flip through all the papers, go to the editorial section, read the news. And eventually, um, I had a subscription to the Washington Times as a, as a young person because I liked it. And I had a political a science professor there, and I'd bring up things that I'd read, and I'd say it was in the Times. He would say, which Times? And I would say the Washington Times. Because <laughs> it wasn't the New York Times. Right? I mean, he only wanted to read the New York Times, which I also read. And I've told you before, I have subscriptions to these papers now so that you don't have to. So I can go in and get the garbage that the New York Times or the Washington Post or some of these others put out. But uh, this is essential, right? The, the news cycle in the establishment news cycle for a long time was essential to get content or at least things to talk about. It still is. Uh, we forget how important some of these things are, for, particularly for, for people of my age and, and older, who really are the driving force in American politics anyways. But this is a piece in the Washington Times uh, about government waste and Vacant office buildings. Now, if you've ever been to Northern Virginia, and this is important, these office buildings are in D.C. There's some there, but a lot of them are stretched out into Northern Virginia. In fact, uh, places like you know, Fairfax County are just overrun 
with federal buildings and contractor buildings, buildings that were that are occupied by federal contractors. A lot of times Defense Department contractors, but other things too. So you have all these businesses that go to Washington, D.C., then flood out into the, to the suburbs, into Virginia, because they're doing government work. This is, I mean, you really want to see the impact of the general government. Go to Northern Virginia and look around. Uh, it's office building after office building after office building, and it's all coming from this extensive growth in the federal government. I mean, we've got a, a government that spends trillions of dollars every year that we don't have, by the way. I mean, we're just printing it. But it spends trillions of dollars, and all that will go into these companies, these contractors. A lot of it filters down in the states. Uh, Defense Department gets a tremendous amount of it. So we have all this money, and that's going to create... I mean, this is, this is the argument. It creates jobs. But it is going to create this environment in northern Virginia where you have all of these people coming in for these federal contractors. And federal jobs themselves. Now, this is important, the part about the federal jobs. Again, back in the 90s, the general government shut down a few times. And uh, I was going to school in Maryland at the time. So there were, still, um, there were still people there that had parents, because of where I was going to school, parents who worked for the federal government. They were all upset about the federal government shutting down. But most people didn't care. And I remember uh, you know, having conversations with fellow classmates. And some of them were very upset when I said, well, what does it matter? I mean, most people aren't going to care. Oh, but my parents are going to lose their... They would get very defensive about this. And you see it does, It trickles down. The parents have the government job, and so then the kids are going to be shills for the government job. And I mean, this creates, it creates a culture. It creates a government job culture. And they get... A lot of these people went off and to do things. Maybe they got into a science field, and they get, they get government grants, and this is how they survive. So... Um, when, when you think about the amount of waste, though, it's apparent when articles like this come out. And I, I was, I mean, I had to go through this. The title is Ghost Towns. Federal office buildings are 80% vacant. Government audit finds. So we've had an audit. Um, we've had an audit. And 80% of federal buildings are vacant. Now, the the... The devil's in the details here and what's happening with all this and why you look at this on the surface and say, if 80% are vacant, why don't we just cut all of these office buildings out and I mean, save a lot of money? Well, the government contractors, or at least the government services, the government bureauc the bureaucracy doesn't want to do this because that would mean their budgets would get cut. You see, this is how government budgets work. People don't realize this. And this all goes back to the executive branch. Okay, the executive branch is the largest branch in the federal government. It employs most of the people who work for it. And you could say that's not just the military, which could theoretically be part of the executive branch, but all the other service jobs that come out of Washington, D.C., because they have to execute the laws of Congress. And if they don't spend the money that they're given then there could trigger automatic reductions in the amount of money they get. You see, the, the way that the budget works in D.C., and I've talked about this before, if you go back and look at the old catalog, and I had somebody to comment, hey, these old, these old episodes work. I mean, we're almost up to 900 episodes now. I've got a lot of stuff out there. I've said a lot of things. But the way that the spending works in D.C. is something called baseline budgeting. So, And it's the way most government 
uh, spending works. So this year, you're given a budget. We'll just use low numbers. You're given $100. If you don't spend that $100, then you're not going to get an increase next year. You won't get the $110 or whatever the baseline is, whatever percentage they think they're going to go up, whether it's 10%, 5%, 3%, $103. You won't get $103 next year. You'll get cut. Somebody else can put in a budget request for money, in the, and then the, the government will look at it. The auditors and people look at it and say, well, this, this uh, department uh, was given 100 bucks, but they only spent 80 So that's clearly all they need, so just give them $80, and we'll give the extra 20 to this department that was begging for more money all the time so they get more. So instead of getting just $103, they're going to get $123. So what all these government agencies will do is they will spend that $100 on anything. Right? They'll spend it just to make sure they spend it. So they all are insured they're going to get a raise next year. Now, some of these places could still be clamoring for money, and they'll try to get them more, you see. They'll never get a cut. The other thing that the government will do, that the Congress will do, or at least the executive branch in their budget, will say, all right, uh, I know that we were supposed to get a 5% growth this year, but because times are tough, we'll go with a 2.5% growth. And that's a budget cut. These are the these are the things they'll say. That's cutting the budget. <laughs> but they, they already went up 2.5%, whatever it is. It's not really cutting the budget. They're just cutting the growth of the spending. That's called baseline budgeting. But this, this boondoggle of all of these government agencies that get money for things they don't even use is because they don't want their budget cuts. And they say it in this article. So let me get into this. This is why the federal government is, is worthless, by the way. So much of it that it does, nobody would even miss. Now, the people that own these office buildings, perhaps, if there's any private uh, enterprise involved in that, which probably isn't, these areas that cater to the D.C. crowd, uh, maybe they, they would lose some, you know, you'd have reciprocal loss because they wouldn't have the people going and buying their coffee there every morning or whatever it is. But the fact is, um, most people, the, the general population, if you could cut this waste, would be all for it. So the article says, The Agricultural Department is headquartered at the gateway between Washington and Virginia in a building rich with history. But on any given day, roughly 90% of it sits empty. Roughly 90, 10% of the building is being occupied. So that means they're paying for all of that space. And you can't just shut off all the services to the building in the areas that you may not be using. I'm sure you, they, they, I'm sure they kind of move some things around as they can, but 90% of it is not being used. So they're paying all this money for space they're not using. And the piece says that's not an anomaly. The Government Accountability Office surveyed two dozen federal agencies and found they average a roughly 80% vacancy rate during the study period earlier this year. Now, this is in 2023. This is not during COVID in 2021. And the piece says, well, maybe we'll get back to normal after COVID. COVID's been over. I mean, nobody's doing anything like this again. I know people are running around with masks on and other things now, but nobody's shutting anything down. And I don't think anybody's going to go for it. Now, the government would love it. But most people in America are saying, yeah, we're not shutting down for this anymore. That was a disaster. We're not doing that. We're not shutting down. We're not shutting down schools. We're not doing any of that. 
Unless it's Ebola or Marburg, I think people are going to say, we're not shutting anything down anymore. Uh, I mean, it, yeah, you get something like that here, then nobody's going to leave their house. <laughs> people are going to be so afraid, I don't even know what they would do. But nobody's shutting down for COVID anymore or the flu or anything else. They're just not going to do it. Unless the, it was like the Spanish flu where you could go to work and then be dead in 24 hours. I mean, that would be something people might shut down for again. Or, but even then, when you look at the Spanish flu, pe- people didn't shut down. Some schools would close. They would do some things like that when there was an outbreak. They would just close down and then they would open back up within a week or two. It, w- it wouldn't be you know long-term, send people home and don't come back. But that's what happened with the general government. And this has been over now for at least a year, if not more. So it says not a single agency topped 50%. Investigators said excess space has been a long-standing challenge. A long-standing challenge, not just in the last three years, but the coronavirus pandemic and growing demands by employees to be allowed to telework raised the problem to crisis levels. With the government paying for massive square footage, it just doesn't need anymore. So it's always been a problem, but the coronavirus pandemic push it to where we are now, but that's been over. So what you still have are people saying, yeah, I'm not, I'm not coming into work. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to telecommute. I'm going to work from home in Northern Virginia and, um, I'm just going to, you know, do whatever I want to do. Now, uh, this is why you saw the explosion of housing prices in rural areas during Corona, during the COVID situation, because people could telework. So they would just go and, and they would buy and they had high paying jobs and they would just go buy properties in areas that might have been uh, a little more economically depressed and they would just if as long as they had good internet and if you got a good cell phone signal uh, you know 5g or something you got good internet you can get cell phone internet and just you can work from home and so you saw the explosion of these places and you know housing prices go up i don't know if that's going to come down interest rates are really high I don't know if there's going to be an adjustment somewhere. So far, it, it, there, there are some signs that it might, but in some areas, it just hasn't slowed down. During the pandemic, federal agencies operated under a maximum telework posture with many employees working away from the office, said David Maroney, acting director of GAO's physical infrastructure team. I mean, think about all the bureaucracy in this. We've got the GAO, and then we have all the, the physical infrastructure team. <laughs> we have a bunch of people that work for the federal government to go out and do audits on the government to see how they're wasting money. They're paid to do this. I mean, that sounds noble and everything, because we want to know if they're wasting money, but think about the waste in the waste. If you just didn't have all this stuff, you wouldn't need David Maroney working for the GAO physical infrastructure team. As the country emerges from the pandemic, as the country emerges, we've been emerged for over a year. Of course, there's a commercial I saw the other day. It was, a, I think it was a Hyundai commercial where people are having to go back to work now. And it's, you know, the whole commercial is about getting back to work. I mean, there's a lot of states this has been going on forever. You know, people haven't ever stopped. So as the country emerges from the pandemic and agencies continue to offer telework as an option, the federal government has a unique opportunity to reconsider how much and what type of office space it needs. So he's saying, look, I mean, you, you've got an option. People want to telework, fine. If they can do the job from home, which can they really? But if they can do the job from home, 
Well, then why do we need all this office space? Can we just cut it? Can we just get rid of this stuff? But getting agencies to rethink their space is a tough sell. It's a tough sell. You've got entrenched bureaucrats, and they don't want to give up their budgets. That's the issue. Entrenched bureaucrats want to keep spending the money that they're allotted, because if they don't, they can't justify the money they're allotted. They can't justify their government salaries. They can't, all these mid-managers. I mean, that's what you, bureaucracy is a bunch of mid-managers. That's all it is. It's mid-managers. It's people working in jobs, pushing paper around, doing things that really don't do anything. That's what they do. It's paperwork to facilitate paperwork. What does the agricultural department actually do? except regulate and have paperwork. What do they actually do? Do they produce anything? Do they produce any goods or services except people sitting in offices, shuffling paper around? This was the old Jeffersonian critique of all this stuff. Is there anything tangible they can produce other than shuffling paper around and regulating people and telling people what to do? Well, we give farm grants. We do stuff. We, we, we do stuff for farmers. You do? Really? Do you go plant crops? Oh, we help them. We help them realize what they have to do to do better with their farms. What do they actually do is the question. For one thing, agency bigwigs say the government will have to spend money to save money. This is what the bigwigs say. Well... Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess you could cut our space, but you're going to have to spend more money to get us to cut space. You see, uh, we know about this. The Agricultural Department is aware of its challenges, but figuring out a hybrid office where in-person and remote work are both accommodated would require millions of dollars of investment in planning. Money the agency doesn't have. You know, to do this, we'd have to sit down. We'd have to create a commission. And this commission would then, in this, would then have to investigate and do some work on this. And then, after that, we'd have to hire another commission, an implementation commission. And then they would have to figure out and plan and direct how all this would work. And then they'd have to hire contractors who are going to be under federal regulatory uh, laws in terms of work hours and production and other things. And those contractors would have to come in. And we'd have to completely gut everything. And within about five years, we could probably be ready to go with this new type of work environment. Whereas private agencies had to do this on the fly. The government, no, no, no. This is going to take too much time, too many resources. I mean, come on. How do you expect us to do this? we got a plan for all this. we got a plan. This is millions of dollars to figure out how we're going to have people work remote and work here in the office. I mean, how are we expected to do that? How are we expected to play in this way? How are we expected to be that responsive? We can't. There's no way we can do that. And only if you pony up millions of dollars more in cash. It's the only way it can happen. Oh, plus, officials also told investigators they worried that the tele telework boom might be a fading fad. And if they ditched the space, they could be caught in a bind when workers do come rushing back. You know, I mean, 
This could be over next year. This could be over two or three years from now. And then what happens when all the people come rushing back to work and I don't have an office for them? So we're just going to keep that office there because maybe in five or ten years they might come back. You know, who knows? I mean, maybe in like 17 or 18 years they could be back to work. I mean, and and if we don't plan for that 17 or 18 year period in there with, with several different other planning commissions and agencies... If we don't have teams, if we don't have the planning team set up to plan for the for the for the implement, implementation team. If we don't have all that stuff done, and if we don't have meetings for all these things for about three or four years before we can do that, well, then I mean, all these people might be back anyways. So I can't get rid of their office. I can't do that. And agencies are also reluctant to share, the GAO said. One official said their leadership is reluctant to share headquarters with space with other agencies because it could lower their perceived standing as a cabinet-level agency, Mr. Maroney said. Think about that. That's the key. Well, if they move, depart, if they move agencies together, right? If they say, all right, here's what we're going to do. Agriculture department, you're going to share with this other department. And so we can save money. Well... Well, that means we're less important. That means we don't need this big building anymore and we would lose our standing in the cabinet. We wouldn't be able to sit in the cabinet meeting with all 100 other cabinet officials and say, this is how much money we need. <laughs> I mean, how can we justify it if we're, if we're crammed in with uh, the Department of Labor? I mean, how, how could that happen? Uh, I mean, come on. We, we need the space, man. If we need the space, Jack, what's going on here? GAO measured usage by taking the total amount of square footage available for employee use at an agency's headquarters and then dividing it by the number of people who actually entered the building. <laughs> the study looked at, the, at use rates for one week in January, February, and March. This is earlier in the year, right? This is so while well, the pandemic was still going on er, early in 2023. We're still in the pandemic. It reported results for the 24 agencies broken down into four tiers. At the bottom, averaging just 9% capacity were Agriculture, the Social Security Administration, the Office of Personnel Management, the Small Business Administration, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, and even the General Services Administration, which acts as the government's chief landlord. Those 9%, so 1 out of 100, or I should say 10 out of 100, 1 out of 10, 10 out of 100, excuse me, it's early. 10 out of 100 people. So out of 100 employees, 10 showed up to work. Well, that means you could probably cut the other 90 and you would be operating just fine. Seriously. If that's the case, if only 9% of these people showed up, why are they all there? You could probably cut. I mean, look, th this would be, I mean, grounds for just getting rid of all these people. I mean, look, think about the Social Security Administration. What does it actually do? It just shuffles papers and sends out money. Why would you need a whole bunch of people working in that? A lot of it is now automated. 9%. The second tier included the Education, Transportation, and Veterans Affairs Departments, the Environmental Protection Agency, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, and the National Science Foundation. 16%. So 20 out of 100. So that means 80 people could be cut. 
So we're, I mean, we're slashing now. If you really wanted to think about this, all of these things do is spend money and they don't produce anything. Now you can make a case, maybe NASA, right? Maybe, I don't know, uh, education, transportation, Veterans Affairs, EPA. I mean, think about it. They're just regulators. Their whole job is to go out and, and pass regulations and then see if they get you breaking the rules. That's their job. <laughs> That's their job. Their job is to actually stifle people from doing stuff. The third tier included the Energy, Labor, Interior, and Health and Human Services Departments, the U.S. Agency for Internal, I'm sorry, International Development, and the Defense Department's building at Mark Center in Alexander, Virginia. They averaged 23%. So we're up, yeah, I mean, three out of 10. So 30 out of 100. So you could cut 70. All right, just do this in scale, right? The six agencies that did the best were the Commerce, Justice, State, Treasury, and Homeland Security Departments. And the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, they averaged 36% use, but none taught 50%. So about 60% of their people could be cut. So, I mean, we're cutting a lot of people now. We could cut all that space. But no, no, no. Uh, that's not the way it works. In fact, GAO said several agencies objected to this measurement, saying vacations. <laughs> vacations. How long? Like permanent ones? Uh, illnesses and other normal ebbs and flows may have affected the study period, but not definitely, but may. I mean, well, you know, Bob, I think, was on vacation that week for three months. <laughs> Bob was on vacation for three months. Um, and then and then, and then, then uh, Janet, uh, well, she was sick for all three months. And uh, just normal ebbs and flows. Maybe you weren't there when, when, uh, when Pete was out getting coffee five times for everybody in the office. And then when, when Susie was going to get donuts for everybody else. I mean, you don't know. You don't know what we go through in this office. Those agencies said it made more sense to review its use at peak capacity. When is that? Over three months, you weren't at peak capacity ever? In three months, you weren't at peak capacity. Well, I mean, when do, when do you get there? It took you three months to get there? GAO said one problem is that the OMB, the nerve center of the executive branch, hasn't set benchmarks for agencies to achieve in terms of office space use. So the OMB isn't telling you how many people you have to have in the office. OMB said it should develop those benchmarks, but they're going to probably need a planning commission and then an implementation commission and then a board to study that. And then they have to get through the regulations of all these things to ensure they don't violate any rules and regulations that they created and that the Department of Commerce, Justice, and um, the uh, Personnel Department didn't do. So they need to make sure all of those things are in place before they do anything to set any standards. And in about six or seven years, they might have an initial preliminary report that tells you how many, how much office space you have to use before you can cut it. But then, of course, it's going to have to go to government review. And in that government review process, that could take another three or four years to review. So maybe in a decade, they might have benchmarks. Most of the two dozen agencies studied by GAO didn't provide official responses to the report. USAID did respond, saying it has been working on the issue. USAID has reduced its footprint and saw an opportunity to restructure its portfolio. 
Imagine a government agency saying it has a portfolio. That's what, that's what private entities have. These people, this government doesn't have a portfolio. It's, an, it's, a, it's a government agency. No portfolio there. Taking steps to make cost-effective decisions by collecting data on how often employees report to offices. They collect data. We have to collect data. Then we have data crunchers. And those data crunchers would have to report to the committee on data crunching. And then we'd have to have a, a committee to, to survey the committee on data crunching um, and make sure their findings are accurate. It's all a joke. This allows us to ensure the agency consistently implements sound capital planning practices to optimize our portfolio, <laughs> to achieve mission goals in a cost-effective way. What are your, so your portfolio and your mission goals. Come on. Colleen Allen saying all this stuff. This is all just bureaucratic nonsense. What are your mission goals? To shuffle more paper and spend more money? To hire more people? I mean, is that your mission goal? Anyways, you want to know why nobody would miss the federal government because of this stuff? Because they're already absent anyways, most of the time. I mean, it's, it's clear. This is a real problem. All right. Had to talk about this article because it's so funny. It's so funny. But this is what you're up against when you start talking about cutting and doing things and what, what agencies really matter and what don't matter. So I'll see you next time with the Brian McLean Hinshaw. See you then.